today, as we get ready to get into the Word together, I want to start a new series with you before we uh, we jump into this. I want you to take your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. And as you find your place in Ephesians 6, if you need a Bible, we have some you can borrow. They're uh, in the book racks underneath the chair in front of you. We'll try to put a lot of these scriptures up on the screen for you as well. We don't always do this, but I want to ask you as you find your place in Ephesians 6, if you'd stand with me today for the reading of the word. Some of you, I know you're like, I just got my notepad on my lap. I just got my Bible open. I'm ready to take notes. You messed up my flow. That's all right. Are you there? Ephesians chapter 6. Let's start in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your Ground. That's the second time he said, stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, that's the third time, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, it may surprise you to read a verse like Ephesians 4.12 that talks about struggling with powers and principalities and evil rulers in the heavenly realms, thinking, man, this sounds like a a sci-fi film. But listen, I want to challenge you right at the onset of this message. We live post-enlightenment era. We think we've figured it out. We've learned uh, a multitude of knowledge about the universe around us, and we can see farther than we've ever seen. We've, we've learned through science and, and the study of the human anatomy. We can see deeper and more, with more detail than we've ever seen before. But listen, don't be deceived into thinking that our growth in understanding of the natural means that we have a handle on the supernatural any more than they did when this was written. I want to tell you everything that this word talks about in that day is absolutely true in our day. And I want to just shine a light this morning and for the next couple of weeks on the reality that the struggle is real. Father, I pray right now in this moment that you would uh, find hearts that are open and minds that are alert, spirits that are receptive. Lord God, we've come this far on this day and we've come to this moment because we want to hear from the living God. God, I recognize that that you're working through a fallible vessel today. So God, I'm asking for your anointing upon me and upon my lips, God, to, 
So guide me, Lord, to say the things you want me to say and the things that you've spoken to me in the secret place. God, I pray that as this word goes forth, it would do what Hebrews 4.12 says it does, that it is sharp, that it is active, and that it penetrates to our very hearts. God, today we, we open our lives to your word. We ask you to lead us and guide us by it. Thank you, Lord God, for this moment. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to tell you the struggle is real. You know, it's funny. If you're on social media, you know that that's become a, a, a phrase in our culture, in pop culture. People even use the hashtag, the struggle is real. And uh, maybe you've had some of those moments uh, where, you know, some of those first world problems that, you know, they're not like real problems. It's not like we don't have food or water, but there are problems. And and uh, and maybe you've even commented about those things and and said, hashtag the struggle is real. I, I'll show you a couple pictures of some that uh, that I found on the Internet. Here's one. Uh, if you're a girl with curly hair and you wake up like this. You know, the, how many of you curly-headed folks, the struggle's real, right? I mean, it's real. I know, Tom Tompkins, you have that problem as well as Hank up here. For real, that, that's, that's the struggle that I'm talking about. Or, or maybe a little bit closer to home, a little bit more serious. If you've ever seen this one, you know, if you open your fridge, you guys living with your bachelor pad, the struggle is real. That's that's definitely one. Let me show you another one here. If you've been to this point of desperation in your house, how many of you know the struggle just got real? If that's the situation that you're you're in, or maybe your Monday mornings look a little bit like this. That's not Mona Lisa. That's Monday Lisa. And you wake up feeling like that. You know the struggle. Is real. Now there's some church memes going around too that I just have to laugh at and, and I can relate to this one, but maybe, maybe you've seen this one. When you want to throat punch somebody, but you're trying to get right with the Lord. How many of you know the struggle got real? You ever been there? Okay, I'm not the only one. <laughs> oh man, just Jesus, 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 you know, the struggle gets real. Uh, all of you probably can relate to this one. Let me show you this last one here. The boss be like, you're still coming into work, right? <laughs> Did the struggle get real for anybody this last week? Trying to shovel out from all the snow? Yeah. <laughs> the truth is we laugh about that because some of those things might be significant and some insignificant. And in a tongue-in-cheek way, we could talk about, yeah, the struggle is real. But the struggle is real. I'll show you one more picture. There's... Um, uh, a famous character in Greek, Greek mythology, Atlas, and the statue is of him holding the world on his shoulders. We've all seen that image before. And uh, and so I was at the home goods store with my family the other day, and I saw this this statue. Let, let's show this statue that I found. And uh, so I, I held it up, and it's this guy trying to push the... He looks. He doesn't look like Atlas. He looks weak and and, and frail, and he's trying to push... Everything up the hill and it's cracked and, and I just held that up and I asked my 13 year old daughter, I said, I said, Morgan, what comes to mind when you see this statue? And she's, you know what she said? The struggle is real. <laughs> I said, yep, yep. Maybe you feel that way this morning. You feel like you're trying to roll the whole thing uphill and not only is it coming back down on you, but it's cracking and falling apart. 
And, and I want to let you know today, as we kick into this series, that we can't blame everything in our lives on the devil. But we would be remiss to think, or to be naive to think, that we don't have a real adversary in this world. And, and Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus to communicate to them some really important truth that we need to wrap our minds around today. And so I want to encourage you this morning in the struggle. You know, I don't have time to, to go through the, the whole book. The more I studied it this week, honestly, I, I just felt like uh, skipping what I intended and going back to Ephesians 1 because it's such an incredible book. And let me just tell you kind of what Paul is saying, though, in a, in a nutshell. In the book of Ephesians, Paul takes time to talk about the incredible purpose that God had in sending Jesus to the earth. And in verses like uh, verse 3 in Ephesians 1, Paul says, I mean, he's only two verses in and he stops and he has a praise break thinking about how good God is. And he says these words. He says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. He goes on to to talk in this letter about the high calling of God on our lives, that God has something that he's purposed us to do and something that he wants us to. To fulfill a destiny and a plan that he has for us. Verses like chapter 2 and verse 10 where it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has an incredible plan and a purpose for your life. And then he begins to talk about uh, how we're supposed to uh, flesh this out, how we're supposed to uh, live our personal lives as a son of God, as a daughter of God. And he begins to explain not just how we uh, personally deal with our lives, but how we collectively work together as the church. It's been said that Colossians is a book about the Christ of the church and Ephesians is a book about the church of the Christ. And so he talks about how we relate to each other. And then he gets even more uh, in, in our living room. And he talks about how we're to relate with each other in our own home. Children to parents and husbands to wives and, and so on. And he gives all of these explanations about what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. And then after he's explained all of this, the plan, the purpose of God for, for Jesus and the plan and purpose for God for you and for families and for the church and for For individuals, then he says in verse 10 of chapter 6, finally. And that's where we began reading. Finally. It's as if Paul is is saying to us in this moment, all these things, all these things that I've talked about, all these things that I've communicated to you, now they build up to this moment. There's some critical information that you need to understand that you cannot disassociate from what I've just told you. Finally, you need to understand The struggle is real. And it's not a struggle with flesh and blood. It's not a physical battle. There's something that's happening in the spirit realm all around your life, all around my life, all around this church. And Paul is saying to them and saying to us today, the struggle is real. And there's something that God has for you to do. There's something that God has for me to do. And I want to tell you, regardless of how different we are and how different the plan of God is in our life, for none of us 
It's not going to happen without a fight. The Bible communicates some things about our adversary, the devil. And he's not going to sit back and let the plan and purposes of God be fulfilled in our lives without putting up a fight. So here's what I want to do for the next few days, Sundays. I, I want to shine a light on the playbook of the enemy. I, I want you to see his evil schemes. That's what Paul called them, the schemes of the evil one. I want you to see and I want to expose some of the fiery darts that he wants to launch at our life so that we will recognize him when he comes against us. So that we can do what Paul told Timothy to do in 1 Timothy. He said, I want you to wage a good warfare. Can I tell you, church, that's my heart for you. I want you to wage a good warfare. Paul said in another place, I have fought the good fight. How many of you know the good fight's the one you win? The good fight's the one you win. And I want you to wage a good warfare. So I'm going to give you several verses before we jump back into Ephesians 6. And I'll just have these up on the screen so you can see them. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, that Paul was telling the church, I'm explaining these things for this reason, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. You know, the Bible is full of illustrations of ways that the enemy is attacking us as the people of God. Just a few examples Jesus explained that that the devil attacks people with sickness. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 16, here's what it says. This should Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Now listen, don't, don't build an entire theology off of one verse. I'm not saying that all sickness comes from the devil. And if you're sick this morning, it's probably because the devil's uh, put something on you. But there is a principle in Scripture that sometimes sickness is of the enemy. Sickness bound this woman for 18 years. Paul said that the devil interferes in our plans. You ever felt like that was happening? In your life. Like, nothing's going right. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18. He said, we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. Sometimes the enemy works to interfere with our plans. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan will hinder people from even receiving the message of the gospel. Look at that verse. It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Can I tell you, that's why it's so important that the people of God are praying people. Because there are people that that literally are blinded to the gospel, by the works of the enemy. And it doesn't matter how eloquent the sermon is. It doesn't matter how great the worship is. It doesn't matter how many people come to the altar. They're blinded because of the works of the enemy. And and that's what Paul is talking about when he says there's a struggle that's going on in the heavenly realms. If, If somehow the Holy Spirit could pull back the veil of our eyes and we could see into the spirit realm right now. There's no telling what the enemy might be trying to do right now to bring distraction. 
to blind people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to thwart their plans. There may have even been people that wanted to get here this morning, but their tire was flat. Or, or, or their kids were sick or, or something else. And again, I, I'm not saying that, that everything that happens in our life is a plan of the enemy. But what Paul is emphasizing and what I want you to see as the people of God is that the struggle is not always a struggle against flesh and blood. That there is a power at work against the will of God and the plan of God for your life. And Paul is going to tell us how to defeat that enemy. The Bible says to us in Revelation why the devil is working overtime against the church. Listen to this verse. Chapter 12 and verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. Now, for those in heaven, they can rejoice. He can't touch them. But the word of God says the devil roams throughout the earth and he's filled with fury. I want to tell you, the devil is real. He's not to be feared, but he's real. And the Bible says we have a real enemy, a real adversary. And and he knows that he's a defeated foe. And he knows that his days are numbered. And that's why the Bible says in this verse that he goes throughout the earth with fury because he knows his time is short. And so his objective is to take as many people down as possible. He's like a suicide bomber. He knows his days are numbered. So he looks to do the absolute most damage that he can do in your life. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And if there's a scripture that many of you have memorized about the works of the enemy, maybe this is the verse that's most familiar. It says, be alert and sober minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What a picture. Like a roaring lion. Could you imagine, thank God we can't see things that happen in the spirit realm, but could you imagine what that would look like if there was a lion roaming through this church this morning, looking for someone to devour? That's the picture that the Bible gives us about our adversary, the enemy, that he comes against us. Jesus said this about the devil. Jesus called him the prince of this world. Why would he call him the prince of this world? Because God gave dominion and authority to Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave us uh, authority in the earth, but they forfeited that authority when they uh, gave into temptation and committed sin. And so the, the devil is, is ruling and reigning in a world of sin today. Now we know that God is still sovereign and God is on the throne. But Jesus said in, in the Bible says in Job 1, about verse 7, that the enemy, the devil, roams throughout the earth. That's what he's doing. He's roaming throughout the earth. He's seeking those whom he may devour. Now the good news, and there is good news this morning. Amen. The good news is, Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold on me. And that's a place you can be. And that's a place that I can be. That we don't have to 
hide or run or fear the evil one. Listen, Satan is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He doesn't know everything. He can't be more than one place at one time. And he is not God's equal. You know, we we get our theology sometimes from cartoons. We see an angel on this shoulder and a devil on this shoulder. And we think like it's this spiritual yin and yang that's happening. Listen, the devil is a kicked out ex-employee of the Most High God. Amen. He is. He does not have the same power that our God, the Most High God, has. He's not even on that same level, but he does have powers and principalities. And he has demon spirits that do his bidding all throughout this earth. And the Bible says this struggle that we're in is real. It's not a struggle against flesh and blood. But it's against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. So how do we become aware of Satan's schemes? That's what I want to present to you for the next few moments. How do we become aware? If we know he's out there, if we know he's working against the church, if we know that he's, he's trying to interfere with God's plan, he's trying to, uh, to bring heartache and sickness and pain in my life, and, and he's trying to keep me from the purposes that God has for me and for my family and for my church... How do we become aware of his schemes? Look with me at verse 11 again there in Ephesians 6. The Bible says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You know, the Bible says in Romans that we should be excellent in what is good and innocent of evil. I think there's a real practical application to that verse that I don't have to be an expert on witchcraft to know that it's evil. And so if you want to know the devil's schemes, all you've got to do is look at the armor that God has given us to combat those schemes. How many of you know that we are fully equipped in Christ Jesus? He would not send you out onto the battlefield unprepared. And so we don't have to, we don't have to study the devil. All we have to do is look at the armor that God has given us and we can know that he has, he has panoplied us with the armor of God so that we can stand against the wiles of the evil one. And so I want to show you this morning what the first attack is, the first scheme is of the devil in our lives. And that is a, a scheme of division. He wants to bring division into our lives. Here's why. The devil knows you can't move in two directions at the same time. You you can't. He knows it's true for you as an individual, and he knows it's true for uh, an organization. You can't move in two directions at the same time. And here's another thing the devil has figured out. He has no power against the gospel. You understand that the devil is fully aware of the Bible. He knows it better than you or I. He's fully aware of what the scripture says. That's why when he came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, he tried twisting scripture. He was quoting uh, verses out of context and trying to manipulate Jesus, the living word, with the written word. But he knows he, he can't stand against the word. Every time Jesus said, it is written, Satan had to 
leave. And since he knows the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and he cannot defeat the word of God, and he can't stop the church, he's very aware of what Jesus said in Matthew 16, that, that I am building my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. He knows that verse. And since the church is the unstoppable force and the gospel is the power of God to salvation, then his only outlet is to try and divide our attention. To cause division. To break our focus from our task. You know, in a a corporate sense, I've seen this happen so many times. and, And I'm sure many of you have too if you serve the Lord for any length of time. That the enemy will start trying to cause division to slow down a church from making progress. I've seen it so many times where God will begin to, to, to do something and, and all of a sudden lives are being changed and, and, and families are being put back together and, and purpose is being found and people are hearing the call of God and the church is growing and then all of a sudden a divisive thought comes into somebody's heart or somebody's mind. You know, a young person walks into the church and says, well, these are all older folks here. There's no place for me. Or, or an older person walks into the church and says, all they ever talk about is young people. And, and a seed gets dropped in your heart, a seed of division. And all of a sudden, you know, what, what God was doing, what God was moving forward becomes derailed off of its tracks. Why? The gospel's the same. The word is the same. The spirit's the same. But suddenly there, there's, there's division. You know, the Bible says this. The Bible says without vision, the people perish. It means they, they cast off restraints without a vision, without clarity. They, they start going separate ways. And what is vision then dies and you have Division. And so many times, churches have, have lost momentum and churches have lost their, uh, their drive, not, not because of theological issues, not because of significant things, but because of little seeds of discord, little seeds of division that the enemy wants to sow. Because that is the strategy of the enemy, to always sow seeds of discord. Yeah, it's true organizationally, but it's also true in your own life. Satan wants to do this to you and to me today. He wants us to begin to divide our loyalties. To not, to not be centered and Christ focused, but to begin to divide our loyalty, loyalties. I'll give you an example. Jesus talked about this. Look at this verse up here. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus said this. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or... You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve two masters. And then at the end of that verse, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus was talking about money in that sense, being a a second master vying for our uh, our allegiance. And, And money is a big motivator. We've all felt that pull before. But can I tell you today, the principle is true for all kinds of things. For anything that wants to, to get your heart and your allegiance, for anything in your life. I mean, the devil uses all kinds of things. Sometimes he uses gold. Sometimes he uses girls. Sometimes he uses glory. Sometimes he uses gadgets. 
just the stuff that wants to occupy uh, the place of preeminence in our heart. Sometimes he uses people. Sometimes he uses pleasures. Sometimes the devil will just throw something to distract you and to get your attention. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's just your toys, your your reliving your childhood at mid-age and all of a sudden the weekend becomes about the boat or the camper. And, and all of a sudden those things begin to take priority in our heart and in our life. And the enemy wants to divide. He wants to bring division in your heart. See, the reality is the first commandment, number one, you shall have no other God's before me. Many of you learned that in Sunday school. You shall have no other gods before me. But if we could spin that to a positive statement, what the Lord is saying is don't have a divided heart. It's the number one commandment. Don't let your heart be divided. Because if you give your attention and your vision towards something besides me, all of a sudden you're putting that God in your life, lowercase g, you're putting that thing, that person, that pleasure, that influence that popularity, before me, don't have a divided heart. And so here's the way the enemy schemes, because he's, he's conniving. He doesn't try to get you to join the church of Satan. He could care less, even if you're an atheist. In fact, can I just tell you, the devil is okay with you believing in Jesus, as long as you have a Jesus and religion. That's what he wants. Fine, have your church. Fine, have your Jesus, but have a Jesus and religion. Jesus and money. Jesus and influence. Jesus and whatever you want to fill in the blank with. Because the devil knows that if our hearts are divided, he's got a foothold in our life. He's got a foothold in your life. He can bring division and he can stop your progress. The same way he can do it in a church, he does it in an individual's life. He will stop your progress and thwart the will of God for you. Not because you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, but because you were distracted. Because he brings division. Here's the really good news. God has given us a weapon to combat the schemes of the evil one, to bring division in your heart. And it's called the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Look at verse 14a with me again. And let me tell you just before we read it, that this is the first piece of armor that Paul mentions. And he doesn't mention it because it's the most important. He mentions them in the order that a Roman soldier would put them on. He starts with the, the belt, or if you have an older translation, the girdle. Don't think little leather strap or, that goes through hoops. This was actually like an apron that he would wrap around him that would cover uh, the lower portion of his body and protect him. He would start with the belt. And as Paul's writing this, Ephesians is a prison epistle. So he's incarcerated. It's very likely that while he's writing this, he's looking at the guard who's watching him. He looks at the uniform and he sees someone wearing this and he's talking about the struggle that you and I face every day against the evil one. And he says, you need to start by putting on the belt of truth. Look at verse 14 with me. He said, stand firm then 
with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, in this culture that Paul's writing in, men and women and even soldiers who were going to war customarily wore long flowing garments. They didn't wear pants. They just wore long robes. And so there was a practice that if somebody wanted to run and get somewhere quickly or if they were doing uh, some physical labor or if a soldier was going to war, then they would gird up the loins of their garment. What that meant was they would take all the loose parts of their robe and they would tuck it in to their belt. They would secure everything so that they had a free range of motion. And that's what Paul's talking about. When he says, put on the belt of truth. Now, Jesus said, I am the truth. And we know the Bible is the truth. But that's not what the belt of truth is. The belt of truth would probably be better understood if we said truthfulness. The belt of truthfulness. That's what we're really talking about. He said, this is the starting place. The enemy wants to bring division in your vision. He wants to distract your attention and what we have to do to combat the enemy is we have to put on the belt of truth it means put on personal integrity and truthfulness to not have areas of your life that are over here and over there and things that are dragging behind but to tuck everything in to have it all put together held in place to have integrity in your life It means that when you walk with God, putting on the belt of truth means you let his word penetrate your heart, penetrate your life so much so that that it holds all aspects of your life together. That there's not your, your Sunday walk with God and then there's this other area of your life over here. But that everything is held together in Christ. Here's one of my favorite verses to pray. I pray this verse often. It's in Psalms chapter 25 and verse 21. It says, may integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. I love to pray that verse. And you know, when I pray that verse, when I say, Lord, may integrity and uprightness protect me. You know what I'm saying? If I could pray it in different words, I'm saying, God, today I put on the belt of truth. Lord, I put on integrity and and uprightness to protect me. Because, Lord, my hope is in you. Lord, I put on the belt of truth to have integrity. The best illustration I can come up with for integrity is a mathematical one. A whole number is called an integer. Some of you are flashing back to school. Part of a number... It's called a fraction. And so if a number is whole, it's an integer. And that's, that's a picture of what it means to have integrity. To be a whole person. To not be fractured. To not have division. But to be completely whole. This is what Christ wants for you. He's what he wants for me. The enemy's schemes are, are, are never going to stop coming. For today, it, it may be a temptation for one thing. Tomorrow, it may be for something else. But to put on the belt of truth is to take every aspect of our lives and to have it tied in to Christ and to examine ourselves. And the Bible tells us if there's an area of your life that, that doesn't fall in with Christ, what to do with it. You remember in Hebrews chapter 12, 
when Paul's talking to, or the writer of Hebrews is, many think it's Paul, but he's writing to the church and he says in chapter 12 and verse 1 of Hebrews, he said, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us do this. Let us throw off every weight that entangles us. Those things that, that don't tie into Christ, those things in your life that you know are not of God, those things that are causing division, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. Why? And let us run, he says, with perseverance, the race marked out for us. He's saying you got a race to run. And if you're going to run, you got to gird up your loins. You got to get every, you don't want to trip, you don't want to fall, you don't want to be entangled in sin. So you need to put on the belt of truth in your life. Put on the belt of truth. I want to encourage you today if there's things in your life that are entangling you, if there's things in your life that are tripping you up, to put those things off. To put them off. You have to put them off. You have, you have to, the Bible says you repent of sin. And God is faithful and he's just and he'll forgive of sin. But you have to see those things and put them off. You have to put on the belt of truth. Because you and I are in this warfare. And the Bible says this about Jesus. When we've put off those things that entangle us and those things that want to trip us up. The Bible says in Colossians 1.17 that He, Jesus, is before all things and in Him all things hold together. When we're in Christ, everything fits. Everything holds together. We're positioned and ready for war. Let, let me just give you a quick example from the Scriptures. It, it, I won't take time to, to cover this story thoroughly, but many of you remember the story of Abraham and Lot, his nephew, in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 14, we have recorded the very first war ever recorded in the Bible. And in that war, Abraham had to go down and he had to rescue his nephew, Lot, and in chapter 13, we, we learn why he had to go and rescue Lot. It's because Lot was divided. Lot allowed his attention and his heart to be pulled towards something other than Christ-centeredness, than the plan and purpose of God. What had happened is God had blessed them so much. And by the way, the enemy doesn't only use your lack against you. Sometimes the enemy uses blessing to distract us and to, to pull us aside from what Christ has called us to. But Lot was so blessed by God. And Abraham was so blessed by God that their, their herds and their livestock and their, uh, their shepherds were starting to quarrel with each other. And so Abraham says to Lot, hey, listen. God's been good to us. Why don't you go one way? I'll go the other. We'll make more room for ourselves. I'll let you go whichever way you want. You pick first. Now, Abraham, Abraham was the, the elder. He had the right to pick anywhere he wanted to go. But he gave Lot the choice. And the Bible says in verse 10 of Genesis 13 that, that Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of Jordan was well watered, like a garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. 
He began to look around and, and he began to think about worldly riches. He began to think about prosperity. He began to think about personal gain. And here's what the Bible says about Lot. This is a, a one-sentence biography that foreshadows his destiny. It says in Genesis 13, 11, so Lot chose for himself. And the Bible says that even though Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked cities, they were wicked cities, the Bible says that, that Lot set up his tent facing Sodom. And that's the way the enemy wants to divide our hearts. Again, he doesn't come in and set up camp. He doesn't show up in a red jumpsuit with pitchforks and horns and a cape. He invites us to set up camp in the direction of sin. And Lot chose for himself that path. And because he was living precariously close to the edge of disaster... The Bible says that the enemy came in and they captured him. And so Abram had to go down and he had to rescue Lot and he had to get him out. But there was something in Lot's heart. He wasn't wearing the belt of truth. He wasn't walking in integrity. And where he's living close to Sodom in chapter 13, in chapter 19, the Bible says that two angels came to Sodom. They were going to judge that city. And Chapter 19 opens with these words. It says, when the angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. He had gone from an infatuation with the high life and the big city and the glamour and the glitz of Sodom to where now he's doing business at the city gate. And can I tell you, that's the problem with sin. It first fascinates us. And then it assassinates us. The plan of the enemy is not to give you a headache. The plan of the enemy is not to ruin your weekend. Jesus said, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Lot allowed his heart to be divided. And the end game in this story for Lot was that Finally, when the angels of the Lord convinced him that the judgment of God is going to fall on Sodom, you have to get your family out. The Bible says that he went to his sons-in-law and he told both those young men, the judgment of God is coming and we have to get out. We have to get out of the city. And you know what the Bible says they did? It says they thought he was joking. Thought he was joking. See, when we live without the belt of truth girded around our waist, when we don't walk in integrity, when we live a life that's divided to the right and to the left, and our priorities are all over the place, not only are we open and susceptible to the schemes of the enemy, but I want to let you know a watching world doesn't take you serious anymore. It's been so true of many of the church. We don't have a witness in the marketplace and it's not because the word is not still the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And it's not because Jesus is still not in the business of saving, healing, and delivering. The reality is, we're not wearing the belt of truth. And the platform that we preach from is not one of integrity. And so they hear our words, they see our mouth moving, but they think we're joking. And Satan is scheming. To bring division in your heart 
He can't stop the gospel. He can't stop the plan and purpose of God. So he says, hey, look over here. Hey, hey, look over here. Hey, come this way. Come this way. Go after her. Go after that. Attain this. Focus over there. Anything and everything. Distraction. Distraction. Division. And the people perish. I want to challenge you today at the close of this message to put on the belt of truth in your heart and in your life. In fact, I want to give you a prayer to pray. I want to give you a scripture to pray in just a moment. And if you're here today and that's been the struggle for you, just division. You wouldn't renounce God. You wouldn't denounce your faith. But, but you're just divided in your heart. The enemy's working overtime to, to break your focus on the things that God has for you to do. I want to encourage you today to put on the belt of truth. And I want to invite you all over this room. We're going to pray in just a moment. But I want to invite you all over this room, if you're able, to stand with me. As we stand together, I want to... I want to give you a verse of scripture. It's in Psalms chapter 86. It's verse number 11. It says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. That's what God wants for his people. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for focus. We could say it this way. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for direction. It's that idea that even if you fall, you fall forward. That you keep moving in the direction that God has for you. And more than anything, my heart for you and for all of us today is that this would be a day that we, that we see the cross of Christ Jesus. And I love that it's, it's lit up right above this verse. Because that's where our focus has to be. If we're going to have an undivided heart, it's going to have to be a heart that's centered on the cross. It's going to have to be a heart that's centered on the Savior who bled and died there. But I want to invite you today to pray this verse of Scripture from your heart to God. And I want to ask you to, to do it out loud. We're going to do it together with each line of this verse. Can we say the first line together? Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Father, I pray right now for everyone in this room who the enemy has worked against to bring division, to bring distraction. To derail us from the plan and the purposes that you have for our life. God, I thank you that in this moment, your word is becoming true for us. Jesus, you said, if I be exalted, if I be lifted up, that I'll draw all men unto me. And Jesus, today we have exalted you in worship and in prayer and in the proclamation of your word. And today, Father, I sense by your spirit, you're just drawing us to your heart. God, give us undivided hearts. 
That we wouldn't look to the right or to the left. God, that we would trust in you with all of our heart. Not leaning on our own understanding, but in all of our ways. Acknowledging you. Knowing that you're going to make our path straight. Father God, I thank you today that you've given us power over the schemes of the evil one. Thank you, Lord God, for the promise of your word. It says no weapon that's formed against us will prosper. Father, today I pray for the one here, maybe the many, that feel defeated. Feel like the enemy has just been working overtime against them. I want to say to you today, child of God, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That's the preface to all of the armor. Be strong in the Lord. Listen, church, if, if you try to just put on the armor of God in your own strength, you're not even strong enough to wear that suit. You're not even strong enough to... To wear the armor. But be strong in the Lord. And today, if if you're here and you've just struggled. You've struggled to have focus. And to have your life put together. All the parts held together in Jesus. I want to invite you right now to call upon God for His strength. Right where you're standing, in your own words, just begin to ask Him. Say something like this. Say, God, I I need your strength. God, I, I need your power. I'm not able to win this warfare on my own. But God, I thank you that your strength is perfect and it's available to me. God, today I confess... I I confess the division of my heart. I've been pulled in different directions. I've given myself and my focus and my energy and my life, my heart to other things. But today, God, give me an undivided heart. Today, God, as we sang earlier, I surrender all. Lord, I give it all to you, all to Jesus. Lord, I freely give. I lay my life before you today. And God, every day this week, help me to, to wake up in the morning and to to put on the belt of truth, of truthfulness, to walk in my integrity with an undivided heart. Thank you, God, for giving me your strength right now to fight in your mighty power, the good fight of faith.